0: There comes a time in almost every engineer's career where they need to learn to communicate with a customer, train a teammate, pitch a project, or prove that they're credible to a potential client. Pornima Vijeshanker was the founding engineer of Mint.com where she launched V1 of the ubiquitous personal finance platform. She went on to found Femgineer, an education firm that trains technologists on presentation, public speaking, and communication skills. In this episode, I sit down with Purnima to hear tips and tricks that make her students successful. Purnima, really cool to have you on. Thanks so much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, Ledge.
0: Can you give a two or three minute background if, if your resume fits in there? I know you've done some impressive things, but I want them with the audience to, to know who we're talking to today.
1: Totally. So I got lured into startup land pretty early in my career, a couple years out of college, and I was the founding engineer of Mint.com, the personal finance app, which is thankfully still around. After Mint, I decided to strike out on my own. I started BusyV, which was a CRM for fitness businesses um ultimately had to shut that down in 2012 and then transitioned to working on Femgineer which originally began as a blog back in 2007 when I was at Mint and transitioned that into an education company where we teach techies how to build products, companies and level up in their careers and kind of my focus area in Femgineer uh, after doing a lot of experimenting, has really been communication. Teaching folks who are technical how to better communicate, either one-on-one or through presentation skills. And you know, this has been really valuable for their careers and for their company and for the community. Um, in addition to that, I've self-published a couple books. Uh, one is called How to Transform Your Ideas into Software Products, and the other is a book on public speaking um, called Present, uh, as well as being an entrepreneur in residence at 500 Startups and tech stars, and a brief stint as a lecturer at Duke University. So that is my background.
0: So in all your free time, let's talk about the other things. <laughs> you, I'm just kidding. Yeah. So really cool. You know, and, and off mic, you and I were talking about, you know, let's just back up a second, right? Like you get approached by technology people or or people in business around technology saying like, why should I even care about getting out of my desk? And you know, I code all the time, this is great, I like my work, what's on the other side of this idea of, of speaking, presenting, you know, evangelism, why even do that, I don't need to, I'm under high demand.
1: Totally, and I would push back and say, the best folks, meaning the ones who, you know, whether they make the most money or uh, are the most in demand, are the ones who have very, very strong communication skills. And the reason is because they need to be able to recruit other folks in industry, right? Recruiting is kind of huge, especially given how hard it is. The second is they need to be able to communicate, what's going to get built and not just what's going to get built, but why does it need to get built or maybe not built uh, or maybe rebuilt based on your legacy code (laughs) podcast. And the other piece of that is there comes a time in everyone's career, maybe it hasn't happened to people in your audience, so they're super fortunate, but there comes a time where you have to vouch for yourself. You have to sell yourself as, as dirty as a word that might be. And that could mean that you're trying to get promoted, or you have an idea that you want to pursue, or you're kind of frustrated by current practices within your organization and you wanna do something about it. And so that means communicating. And no amount of technical skills, no matter how badass you are, or you know, how great you are as a hacker, is gonna help you get through that moment. And that's why I found that communication and public speaking, as age old as they are, is like really powerful multivitamin for your career that you need to take every day, even if it's just in like small doses. And the more often you do it, it's up to you to decide the cadence, but the more often you do it, the more you end up benefiting.
0: Well, I set that straw man up real good. You, so. <laughs> Thanks. Good job knocking it down. Now I have to tell you that you are absolutely echoing for anybody who doesn't believe you yet. We ask, or I ask on the podcast many times, what are the heuristics for you know great engineers? Because we're interested in that topic, and you know, ninety percent of people say first thing it's about communication and fit and being able to you know share your ideas and be a better collaborator. So I mean, we're all on the same page with that, and I do think the engineers who can't do that or are unwilling to make that shift are or, or going to have a difficult time. You know, I remember the days of engineering in the basement, sitting in the dark, you know, sort of a bunch of drones in front of screens and don't ever let them near the customer. It's just not the reality anymore. Um, so, okay, let's go. Like you talked to me before about some major questions you get asked and some of the, the things that you're tackling. Let's, let's hit two or three of those
1: yeah you know the the first one that i've noticed, especially in the last six to twelve months, has been how can I engage mixed audiences and When I dug in a little bit deeper, I was curious what that meant by mixed. Do they mean kind of within their company whether it's like a designer or a product manager that they're trying to interface with, so people that have a slightly you know different technical background? Or does it have to deal with customers? Because a lot of times customers can be of like varying degrees of knowledge in terms of the product. Uh, or is it stakeholders? And of course, the resounding response was all of the above. Uh, and what I'm noticing is people are getting pulled, like you said, into sales meetings or customer meetings. They're getting asked to speak at events or they're just asked to do lunch and learns or training sessions within their companies. And so on a day-to-day basis, they get put in front of an audience that is either of varying levels uh, in terms of their technical prowess, or in terms of their knowledge of like the product uh, or whatever it is that the product entails. And so given this, you know, their concern is like, well, I don't wanna bore people but I also don't want to give them so much information that I inundate them. So what's, what's like the good balance here? And uh, I actually kind of push back and I say, you know, one, one way to take this approach of dealing with engaged, uh, mixed audiences is before you even do your presentation is to take a little bit of time and do um, what I like to call a pre-meeting. So you meet with them before you do the presentation and ask them like, hey, here's a topic that I want to talk about. I want to talk about let's say like dockerization, because that seems to be like a buzzword these days, right? Tell me what you already know about dockerization. And some people will be honest and some people will be like, oh, I don't know the first thing about it, right? And it's like, well, what do you want to know? And an engineer, maybe somebody who is new or is just getting started with Docker might be like, what the heck is it? Like, what, what, is it, what does it even do? And how is it better than what's out there today? Someone who is a leader might ask the question like, do we even need this thing in our organization? Like, what's going to be the key benefit? Uh, A customer might ask, you know, is this going to help me in some way further my business or my day to day? You know, how is it really going to help me? Right. So these are some general questions. And as you solicit the questions, you'll start to see kind of a Venn diagram up, up, up here. And, you know, in that center are the questions that are top of mind for everyone that you want to address in your presentation. And that way, when you are in this mixed audience, you're not stuck getting way too in the technical weeds or sounding way too salesy or you know something else, right? And that's kind of the first tactic I tell people is go out and solicit these questions because chances are, they're gonna come up in your Q&A. And better that you ask ahead of time than somebody try to stump you in that Q&A session, right? Uh, and so that's one way to engage an audience that is mixed. Another way is to really think about uh, whether you're in like a conference and there's a certain theme, You know, how is this theme going to, or your topic going to appeal to that theme? And can you get some background from the organizer around what people's skill level is? Because a lot of times, um, you know, we might think an audience is mixed, but they skew towards one direction or another. Uh, I'm sure some people in the audience have gone to talks where a presenter will say, like, "How many of you are X?" and like you raise your hand, and then they're like, "How many of you are Y?" raise your hand, and then after they do that, you're like, "Okay, well, that was a great exercise, and I, I like spent five calories raising my hand," but they don't change their talk at all. They're like, why did you bother asking me that, right? So if you're gonna do something like that, you've got to change your talk on the fly, or preferably, you know, think about it from the beginning. Um, So the the point of asking that question is, okay, you maybe want to calibrate for your audience, and if you see that 90% are beginners, maybe you emphasize certain points in your talk that beginners would care about. Or if you find they're more advanced, you might say, you know, I think a lot of you already know this stuff, let's skip ahead to the meat here uh, of the topic. And so, those are things that you want to follow through when you ask somebody a question. Like follow through on why you're asking them that.
0: It feels a lot like customer discovery in startup land. I mean, mm-hmm. you know your audience, right? And exactly. What are their particular needs? Um, do you often advise folks to make a, a maybe a larger deck or you know sort of a more rich experience they can jump around in? Because I see speakers do that a lot, where. You know, they are adjusting in real time. Well, the good speakers do it. Is that a a tactic that you would employ?
1: Yeah, we have kind of a controversial approach that initially people that do it are like, "Uh, I can't believe she's making me do this. Um, What we recommend is you start with an outline. You know, forget your deck because chances are you are going to hate it. It's going to evolve. Like you said, it's going to be long or short, but just start with a simple outline that you can iterate from kind of like pseudocode, and speak from that. Speak for either as long or as little as you like to notice where there are some gaps or drop-off points. But that way you get comfortable with the content and see if it makes sense. And that way, also, if you need to make it longer, you know you can add some more stories or you can add some more data or an example and if you need to make it shorter you then know what to cut out but I think starting from that outline is just a really good scratch pad rather than diving into the deck Um, and then if you do need to do that deck great that's kind of the last thing that we recommend because at the end of the day we consider a deck to be sprinkles on your presentation like a nice visual that people see but really they're focused on you and we get that uh, a lot of times people want that deck because it's really like the dock of record. So have two. Have the dock with all the text that people can skim through after your presentation and then give them the nice visuals during the presentation.
0: This sounds like a lot of work. So people are coming in willingly wanting to do this. (laughs) Are you shocking them at the beginning on how much work it is?
1: Well, we know, we know people are super busy. Like we have been there, we've been in the trenches. Um, Karen, who's my partner in teaching uh, a lot of the stuff, you know, she was a VP at Adobe. So we are not people that have a lot of free time and we're both moms, which means we have even less free time. Right. Uh, And so our kind of promise is having been through the trenches, having tested a lot of our methods, you know, we expect like one to two hour commitment a week to get this done. And also that you come up with something that is a, uh, what do you call it? Like your sort of go-to talk so that you're not having to come up with a new one over and over again. And like you said, that you can shrink or expand depending on how much time you have allotted. Uh, so yeah, we think within like an hour to two hours a week, you can over the course of several weeks, nail this down and it should not take you, you know, multiple hours. I think too often people feel like the more time they invest, the better off. And it's, it's just not true. And and often they end up spinning their wheels. You know, they end up practicing over and over again by themselves which is actually not valuable, right? Because you are your own worst critic, but if you're not watching yourself, how can you even be your worst critic, right? Um, So kind of giving them some strategies around, here's how you can save time, and here's what you need to be looking for, and here's how you can get other people to give you feedback, right? Um, That's kind of the promise that we make knowing that people are busy professionals.
0: So what has surprised you, kind of blown you away in the process? Tell us some some stories of successes or speed bumps or, you know, massive failures that rose from the ashes.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, one surprise last year was there was a woman who had, and, and, and mind you, like, kind of push people to do lightning talks as their first talk because it's just nice at way to get started. Yes, it's it's actually a little bit more work than doing like a 30 minute talk, um, but it's a good way to get started. And often it ends up being the kind of thing where people are like, oh, it's over before it started. Yay. Right. So it's not too much of a time commitment. But I remember um, a lot of our students, they were like, oh my gosh, how am I going to get all this content in five minutes? And I had one in particular, you know, she was like, uh it's eight minutes how am i going to shave off three minutes and and we did a lab where everybody just in class said, okay, we're gonna help this person shave off three minutes. And I I gave them some of the strategies ahead of time. And it was awesome to see the transformation in the end where not only did she shave off time, but like everybody else in the class did as well. Um, And so those are some of the moments where you see people, like there's a light bulb that goes off and they just, they feel amazing at the end because they can watch themselves and be like, wow, I did this. And that transformation is huge. Um, We've also had people who are non-native speakers come to us and say, my accent's really heavy, or I don't know if I'm coming across clearly. And so giving them you know, a, a little bit of mindset change, but also just getting them into the habit of speaking and then suggesting small tweaks like, hey, if there's a word that you don't know how to pronounce don't bother. Like, find an easier word. In fact, your audience is going to enjoy that. Uh, I think giving them some reassurance that, like, people think accents are cool, so just, like, embrace it. You know, and people, people need that. Uh, and we've also had some folks who were shy, introverted, who didn't think that they could do it, or, or thought that they weren't experts. You know, they were just like, I am new in my career. Or they were truly veterans, but they felt as if they didn't have any expertise. Uh, so it's great to see people come out and start kind of a ground zero. And then by the end, they just feel really, really good because they can see the results. And even a lot of times like they'll do their presentation and they'll be like, I didn't feel so great. And then I'm like, go back and watch it. They go back and watch it they're like, whoa. And and because they've been recording all along, they can, they can see the transformation. And, and that's really powerful.
0: Yeah, going back to the replay tape is, is probably fun to, you know, you could even like pull it all together into one transformative event. I have to say once in a while we ambush, you know, regular old engineers who certainly don't have your training and, you know, and, and they just, why are you, why do you want to interview me? I'm just, you know, a regular engineer. I'm like, dude, you wrote this blog or, you know, you're doing brilliant stuff. And, um, it's always surprising to me that, that there's this, like, I I just want to, you know, sit here and write code. Like, well, you are putting yourself out there, but the mediums, you know, are different. Um, But speaking is definitely a different thing. You know, I think that it, it doesn't give you that anonymity or you're out there. You you have a spotlight. People are really looking at, at you, not as maybe as much of your craft. How do you, how do you help people get over that?
1: Yeah. The spotlight effect is real. And it's one of the biggest reasons why even something as simple as asking a question can be nerve wracking. So even if you're not the presenter and you want to ask a question, you just don't because you're like, people are going to think it's a dumb question or my voice is going to crack or, you know, the presenter is going to think I'm stupid. And one of the first things we tell people is, you know, people don't really care as much as you think that they care. So you might be like, oh my gosh, I had this like stain on my blouse or I didn't do my hair like the best today. Uh, Honestly, most of the time what people are listening and looking for is how does this information or how does this question apply to me? And when you reframe it that way, what you realize is, oh, so I don't need to be feeling so awkward or feeling so aware of everything I'm doing and saying, and that people aren't going to be scrutinizing every single one of my actions, right? Um, And then that's the reality, is that they're listening because they want to hear something that's going to apply to them. And a lot of times, those people that end up leaving midway through your talk, probably because they feel like they already knew it uh, and they were waiting for something new, or they're like, I had to go to the bathroom. <laughs> That's like fifty to ninety percent. Um, or a lot of times they feel like it's not applicable to them, and it's applicable to somebody else. So given that, you know, you need to focus on people who are paying attention to you and are there to learn from you. But yeah, reframe it not as I'm being scrutinized, but instead people are coming here to learn from me. And that was a big hurdle I personally had to go through because like you said, you, you feel like you're just a regular engineer and everyone else knows all this stuff. Uh, why would somebody want to learn? But truthfully, there's a lot of people who want to learn from you because you have a certain approach or you're really patient or you're really good at explaining even though you don't think you are, uh, or feel like you are, or you're, you're very approachable in, in person. Right. And, and, and that makes people want to like learn this new thing. Um, so I think that's really valuable and people discount that or don't realize that those are the reasons um, why people are coming out to hear them speak and to learn from them.
0: Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. And and one thing I've noticed is that it's much more rewarding for the audience when someone who is not maybe appearance obsessed turns out to be an expert that is engaging and funny and it, and it becomes a personal connection and maybe this isn't the person likely isn't the person with the great clothes and the perfectly polished shoes and all the things that you think about appearance, great presenters come from somewhere inside and the, the ability to you know, speak and present and, and to, you know, be charismatic and funny. And uh, those are the ones that I, I personally, as an audience member find, you know, much more engaging is when it surprised me a little bit. You know, break down those stereotypes that I might have about you from appearance and and just crush that. I don't know if that is part of your curriculum, but I always found that to be exciting when someone does a thing that is not what they look like.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And I think that's where a lot of people get surprised when they go back and watch those videos. Cause a lot of times they say, I didn't even recognize myself <laughs> yeah, in, the, in the final presentation. So that's, um, that's pretty powerful. And I mean, to be fair, like if you enjoy dressing up or whatever you feel comfortable in is really what we tell people, like whatever you feel comfortable in, um, is what you want to lead with, but don't feel like you have to suddenly morph who you are. And a lot of times people can see through that, you know, they can see through that you're putting on a voice or you're putting on an act and that's not what they're there to see. Right. Um, they're not there to see a play. They're usually there because they're trying to learn something and glean some information from you.
0: Okay. So you have courses going on right now. We want to give you a chance to just make sure that people know how to get oh, it. Yeah.
1: This, yeah. You
0: before we bounce. So please give the information. We'll make sure that we get that out to everybody.
1: Sure. Yeah. I'm happy to include links. So I teach a course once a year called the Confident Communicator course. It's six weeks. It's online. It's live. And that means that both Karen, my partner, and I are there every step of the way. So this is not like self-study. This is, we are there to give you feedback and be with you and see you through this transformation. And it's coming up in February. Usually we teach it like February and March. So if you're interested, go to femengineer.com forward slash confident dash communicator dash course. And I'll make sure to give you a link. Uh, if you're not ready for the course, that's okay, too. We have a book, Present a Techie's Guide to Public Speaking. That might be a great entry point, um, and I'm happy to uh, give you a link to that as well.
0: Pornima, it is a joy to have you on. Thank you so much. We really look forward to uh, staying in the loop.
1: Yeah, thank you for having me, Laj. Thanks for listening to the Frontier Podcast, produced by Gun.io. We're the only freelancing platform where engineers actually go to hire other engineers. If you enjoyed the show and want to learn more about how to hire or freelance with us, head over to gun.io podcast to get in touch, and we'll pay for your first 10 hours with a kick-ass engineer.